We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Of Substance, make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church, and I'm just glad you guys are here. If we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas, and of course, today's going to be extra fun. We are going to be adding to our ongoing teaching series called Tough Questions about faith and the Bible. And of course, uh, if you go to our website, we have an ongoing archive of messages that we started to, uh, just a little list on our website on on a lot of the tougher questions that people have about faith and the Bible. And so uh, over the years, we're just gonna keep adding and adding and adding. So this can be a cool resource for you, for your kids, for your friends. And, And if you've always wanted to know about you know, fill in the blank tough question. Why, who assembled the Bible? Why do we believe it's reliable? Uh, You know, why does a a good God allow evil to exist? Why did God create mosquitoes? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I haven't preached that sermon yet, but if we do, I'm gonna put it on our website under the tough questions, and it's at substancechurch.com forward slash tough dash questions. Substancechurch.com forward slash tough dash questions. But today, uh, we're going to have some, we're going to have, uh, this is a really fun topic that I'm really excited about. And it's this, how do we really know that God exists? How do we really know that God exists? Because if God doesn't exist, then, you know, all of this is meaningless. But if he does exist, then, hey, there's a lot of things we can explore when it comes to faith. And maybe, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I already know that. I already believe that God exists. Great. But can you explain it to people? Even more than that, not only can you explain it to people, but can you do so to the level of their doubts? At some point or another, we need to be able to have these answers. Over the years, I've had a lot of Christians even ask me, how do you, Pastor Peter, I mean, I was raised a Christian. I don't really understand it all, but how do you know for real we're not just making it up? I mean, just like, I mean, what about all the other world religions? You know, like, have you ever just had those thoughts of doubt enter your brain? It's okay. Okay, if you have, it's called you are a human. It's normal. I, I think it's, it's not only important to ask reasonable questions, but honestly, we owe ourselves and we owe our, the world a thoughtful response. If, if you do believe God exists and he created your brain, he also, that also means he's probably requiring us to use it. Okay. So I'm going to force you to use it a little bit today, but I promise you it won't be hard. It'll be fun. Uh, But before we dive in, it's really, really critical that you understand a concept uh, that my wife and I introduced a couple weeks back. And if you missed it, it was this, it was this whole idea, this scientific principle called inattentional blindness inattentional blindness. It's a, it's a, it's a, a kind of a, a relatively newer uh, fact that research has proven that our brains can only see and comprehend that which we expect to see, okay? So it's called inattentional blindness, like attention. Inattention means the lack of attention. Inattentional blindness, it's a scientific fact that our expectations can actually blind us 
from seeing reality. And, and of course, this discovery is actually changing the way people approach the scientific method in a pretty significant way. And so I think it's worth learning about. Uh, so a couple of weeks back, though, my wife and I did a tag team message where we actually shared uh, one of the more famous studies on this phenomenon is called the invisible gorilla study, okay? And I just, and just, I know if you already know this, just indulge me for a few seconds to catch everybody up because we're, and, and I promise you, I'm not gonna take too much uh, time on this because there's an entire another message we did on it, but uh, just allow me to recap it so that today's topic will be a little more fun. In the Invisible Gorilla study, it's, it's known for that because it's all about this gorilla that people tend to miss. Uh, and and what, so what researchers would do is they'd sit a whole bunch of test subjects down, and they've repeated this like thousands of times all over the world, okay? They get a group of humans to watch a little basketball video, and in the basketball video, they ask the test subjects to count how many times the team with the black jerseys passes the ball. Kind of simple. All you got to do is simply watch a basketball game and count how many times the one team would pass the ball. And, and so just a mental process, okay? And then, of course, right in the middle of this short video, a big gorilla jumps into the middle of the, the screen, pounds its chest for nine seconds. It's a long time. One, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. 1,005, 1,006, 1,007, 1,008, 1,009. And then all of a sudden, the basketball team is still throwing the ball, okay? So it's an awkwardly long period of time. We'll get this. So then after the video was over, they would, they would simply ask everybody, how many times did the team with the black jerseys pass the ball? And then people would have to write down the answer because they were counting. And the, but then that's when the real psychological experiment would occur. Then they would ask them, did you notice anything different? Did you notice anything about what the coaches were wearing? Did you notice anything about how many people were in the audience? Did you notice, did you notice any animals? Did you notice a gorilla? And get this, every single time they did the experiment, 50% did not see any gorilla whatsoever. They would say, what do you mean? And then they would ask them, if there was a gorilla, would you have seen it? And of course, 90% of everybody, of course I would have seen it. Everybody overestimated their ability to see it, and yet time after time after time, only 50% would see it. And so then they had the same test happen, except people would talk on their cell phones, and guess what? Only 10% of people saw the gorilla, which, you know, talk, talk about driving with your cell phone, right? But the interesting part is this, okay? The percentage, 10 to 50%, would change based on how expected the thing was in the, in the video. So instead of a gorilla, if they had a basketball coach jump into the middle of the court and pound his chest, people were way more likely to see a basketball coach. Why? Because a basketball coach belongs in a basketball court. Does that make sense, everybody? In other words, the, the level of expectation people would have about the thing altered their ability to see reality. And, and so science has actually shown time and time again, our brains have a hard time registering unexpected things. In fact, it's a very high likelihood that if you don't expect to see something, you generally will not see it. That's called science 
But guess what? As we're about to find out, it's also called the Bible, right? Believing is seeing. You've heard seeing is believing, right? It's the reverse. Okay, so for example, they found in, in science that if you were driving through a busy parking lot with thousands of kids running everywhere, guess what? You'd probably be nervous, right? Because you're more likely to see a kid jumping in front of your car. But they've proven time and time again, if you were like, say, driving in the middle of the interstate, in the middle of the night, in the middle of Wyoming, and uh, in the middle of a snowstorm, you're not likely to see a two-year-old running in front of the interstate. You know what I'm saying? You see, science actually has proven over and over again, your brain will not see that, that, that little kid, even if you saw that kid for nine seconds. Why? Because it's an unexpected thing, that your brain will only register expected things. And so one of the key principles of inattentional blindness is, again, it's fundamental. Expectation alters your ability to see reality, which is what the Bible has been teaching for, for, for centuries, okay? Let me give you an example of this, okay? A mocker seeks wisdom and never, what? Finds it. Why? Proverbs 14, 6. Because expectation alters reality. There are people who claim to be seeking wisdom when in reality they're only seeking confirmation bias. Boy, haven't we seen that since 2020. It wasn't native to 2020, it was just exposed even more. Everybody wants to see the worldview they want to see. It doesn't matter how much information you present certain people. Again, we're going to see what we want to see or what ultimately what we expect to see. You see, it's a biblical principle. The Bible was just repeating a scientific fact. And now, the reason why I'm sharing all this is because if you apply this to this whole idea of the existence of God, then you can kind of understand, listen, if people don't want to see evidence for God, guess what? They're just not going to see it. Or if they don't want, and again, we'd like to believe I'd see a gorilla pound its chest for nine seconds, but most of us will not unless it is expected. So now I, I share all this because I, today I was going to give you a bunch of arguments for the existence of God, but at the end of the day, we can't see, we, we, we can't even have a good dialogue about it unless we have a basic fundamental expectation that, hey, maybe it's true, okay? So now, I, when, I, when I talk about these arguments, believe it or not, over the centuries, there's so many arguments for the existence of God that they actually fit into four major categories, and I'm going to quickly show these to you here. Now, for those of you who are nerdy and you want to do more research on this kind of stuff, you can actually, I, I would write these little words down. Um, because these are, now these are not all of the, the, the arguments, but these are just, there's so many, there's hundreds that belong to each one of these, okay? So um, there's entire books written on each of these, okay? Ontological arguments for the existence of God. Number two, moral arguments for the existence of God. Many of you guys know of C.S. Lewis, um, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia series. Well, he also wrote a famous book called Mere Christianity, and the entire book is, an, is a moral argument for the existence of God. Anybody who believes in right and wrong ultimately must believe in God. And so uh, then the, the third and fourth categories, the ones that I'm gonna tackle a little bit more today are cosmological and teleological. And again, there's way more. These are just, these are just four broad categories that a lot of the arguments tend to fit in. And if you're interested in even more, um, you know, one of my favorite books is Baker's Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics by Norman Geisler. 
And it's kind of an expensive book. It is very much an encyclopedia. But I, I, I say this because if you ultimately want a hundred different, I could give you a couple books to read, but this one book cites hundreds of books. And so it'll, it'll go into depth, not only about all of these, but it'll go into every major philosopher in history from Descartes to Hume to even modern um, atheists. And just, it'll actually give a breakdown of all of the responses to each of those arguments, and then kind of take you a little deeper. And really, the, the goal is not to be just the authoritative book on it. It's meant to give you a resource that can give you a hundred other books uh, that you can read. I actually have a very large collection of books, uh, because, but, but this is just one good reference book if you're out there who you just want a good starting point for all of this. Now, to kind of kick off our discussion today, one of my favorite cities uh, in, in, on the earth is London. I just love London. My wife and I love London. Uh, people always ask us about, you know, if you could go on a vacation somewhere, where would you go back to? We just love it. We love shopping there. We love wandering the city. And I, I've always wanted to plant a campus there. And, and in the center of the city, there's this little park called Hyde Park. And in the corner of that park, there's a place called Speaker's Corner. If you've ever done like a big bus tour, they'll always take you past uh, Speaker's Corner. And it's famous for, for speakers. They'll come there. In the olden days, they would take soap boxes, but they would stand on a box and they would, they would speak on whatever issue they wanted to speak on. And there was this one corner that was famous for, for different atheists would come out there and they would just kind of rip on Christianity. And, and there's this famous story of an atheist who, who spoke in Hyde Park at the speaker's corner on a soapbox. And uh, one day he was drawing a really big crowd and he just, this was his message. He was saying, Christians are just a sick group of fools who are wrecking our society. They have dangerously blind faith. And all of this, all of their faith comes down to one thing they cannot handle. They cannot accept the fact that something, this whole crazy universe, arrived out of nothing. They just cannot embrace that fact. And as he was sharing this, all of a sudden from the back of the crowd, this soft tomato came flying forward from the back of the crowd, hit him in the face, and he goes, who threw that? And he got all angry, obviously, as any speaker would if they got pummeled by something. He's like, who threw that tomato? Who threw that tomato? And all of a sudden, this dude from the back of the audience, a cockney, a, a working class guy from the back of the crowd sat it, just shouted, nobody threw it, it threw itself. Did you guys enjoy that? I practiced that, okay? I practiced me accent, me did. Okay, so some of you are like, don't ever do that if we have a London campus, that joke will not work. But okay, you get the idea, is, is the cosmological argument essentially goes like this. Every cause has an effect, every effect has a cause. Tomatoes don't spontaneously throw themselves, somebody threw it. You know, there's a, there, in the earth, it didn't spontaneously arrive and arrange itself into a higher order. Matter and energy never arranges itself into higher orders. It always dissipates unless there is some cause for that. Okay, so it's, it's, it's actually unscientific to say something comes from nothing because all of the laws of science are based on the, the, the reliability of cause and effect. That's what science is, is finding reliable cause and effect, okay? So if you take your phone and you drop it a hundred times, how many times is it gonna fall when I open up my hands? How many times? That's gonna be very expensive, Pastor, if you keep doing that. But my point is, is that by studying this and just doing it, I can come up with a, a, a statistic, okay? 
I can say, well, every time I dropped it in the past, 100 times out of 100, it fell, okay? So from that, you determine what we call the law of gravity. Now, the law of gravity is not, you can never prove any law scientifically 100%. You can only prove it 99.9999999% because I don't know what will happen in the future. I can't predict the future. There might be one time where I drop it and all of a sudden it just floats in the air and I'd be like, oh, so maybe it's not the law of gravity, it's just the principle of gravity. Okay, so that, you get the idea, okay? Science can never prove anything 100%. It can only prove things that you can repeat a, a, a lot and only to the degree of 99.99999%, and that's what we call a law, okay? Still requires faith to believe in, in gravity because we can't predict the future, okay? So that's actually a scientific statement. That's actually one of the, the foundations of what science is, is it's not about the future, it's about getting principles that can give us reliability so we can have reliable faith for the future. That's really what the scientific method states, okay? So to say that the, so to suddenly deny cause and effect and say the whole universe just spontaneously arrived out of nothing and now we have playstations, now we have weird ear flappies that listen to other humans talk through a TV box and now we have croc shoes, we have, you know, like all, I don't know why, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm just saying all these things. To say that all these things spontaneously arrived out of nothing without some thought to them or lack of thought, then that's unscientific, okay? That's, it, it's even, that's why even Stephen Hawking, when he, was, when he was discussing even some of these topics, he said something of infinite power had to have caused the Big Bang, okay? All, all matter is finite. There had to have been an infinite cause to all of finite matter, okay? And, and so then, you know, a lot of atheists will be, well, like, who created God? And then, and then Christians will respond, well, God, by definition, doesn't need a cause because he's, by definition, infinite, okay? Well, why can't humans or the earth just, you know, be considered infinite? Because science has proven we are finite, it's already a fact. Again, just, just study the second law of thermodynamics. Every, all matter and energy dissipates. We're all gonna die someday, okay? It's just, these are, this has already been proven. We are finite, and, and we had to have had a cause, right? Either parents gave birth to us, we didn't spontaneously arrive out of nothing. You know what I'm saying? That's why we launched, and even science, that's why we launched a, a new web telescope to you know, look back as far as we can possibly get. We, we can never get further back than the bang, right? Because science can't prove that. We can only prove things that we can repeatedly test. You get the idea here. You see, someone confronted way back in the day uh, when, when big evolution debates were a big thing, somebody confronted Charles Darwin on, uh, on, on a lot of it with a cosmological argument, and he actually conceded. He actually said, you know what? You're right. I cannot refute the cosmological argument for the existence of God. In fact, he was so impacted by it that he actually wrote, any good evolutionist still needs to be a theist or like a deist. There has to be some sort of creator, creative force. It may not be what Christianity says it is, but there's got to be some sort of uh, creator out there because it actually is illogical and unscientific to say something comes from nothing. There is no effect without a cause. That's the cosmological argument. Now, it obviously goes infinitely deeper, and, and I, uh, if you read enough atheists, they're gonna say, well, what about this? And then there's the Christian response. And I'm just, I'm kind of giving you the, the, the surface argument in all of this, which leads to uh, maybe another classic category. I, I wanna kind of give you just two basic arguments 
just so that you can, you can explore this on your own. The next category that we're gonna talk about is what we call the teleological argument. So you, 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 we, we came back here, ontological, moral, cosmological. We're gonna talk about the teleological argument for a second. And this one is, is famously known because a lot of people will call it the watchmaker argument, okay? And here's why it's called the watchmaker argument. Imagine you are on a beach, and right now, if you're in Minnesota in the middle of winter, this is a really great thing to imagine. You're walking on a beach, and you're just enjoying the heat, the sunshine, and you're, the waves are lapping up, and all of a sudden, you look down in the sand, and you see a watch sitting there. And so you bend over, you, you, you pick it up, you brush the sand off of it. Now, none of you would say in that moment, wow, what a sensationally complex thing that the ocean naturally assembled. <laughs> Nobody would say that. Only an idiot would say that. You see, you, rather, you would, you would automatically assume someone dropped their man-made watch maybe on the beach or into the ocean and it, washed up, it just washed up onto the shore. In other words, a watch necessitates a watch owner and ultimately a watch maker. This did not spontaneously arrive out of the ocean. It necessitates, it is what we call an irreducibly complex device. Irreducibly complex devices cannot assemble themselves. They must be assembled, okay? There are, there are reducibly complex things that could naturally happen, but then there are things that are irreducibly complex, things that the, the, just using basic probability, it would be logically impossible for that thing to arrange itself to a higher order, okay? So uh, think about it. I mean, if you were to just, let, let's just say that the ocean spontaneously created this. Now, this is, this is a technological watch, but, you know, the old watches with the gears. Imagine, so that, uh, a geared watch is simpler than this watch, right? But a geared watch would, you know, imagine if, it, imagine if the ocean just somehow, there was a, a piece of brass that somehow magically formed, and it's floating through the ocean, and through ocean currents, it got grounded down into a gear, and not just any gear, but a perfect gear, and then that perfect gear happened to be in a tide pool with another random circular gear, and they just suddenly interlocked, and it was beautiful. And they started turning together. Oh, yeah, and there were some like little, uh, little spokes and hubs that somehow assembled themselves. And then naturally over time, it became more complex and it became, it just suddenly started keeping time. And then that time actually synchronized with the, 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 the lunar everything because of the moon. And then next thing you know, okay, now again, it's absurd because... It's, it would just be improbable. And I, I was explaining this to one of my atheist friends, and he said, okay, Peter, I get, I get that it would sound absurd, but uh, science has also proven that if you give something enough time, even improbable things could be probable, okay? So yes, it's improbable. If I took a quarter and threw it, you know, 35 feet, that it would land on its end. But if I did it enough times, just millions of times over billions of years, the, the odds are that it, a quarter could land on its side. And the odds are even over, if you give it billions and trillions of years, the odds are that I could throw another quarter and they would stack on top of each other end to end. Okay, so if you give something enough time, 
and enough, even the improbable would be probable. But I'm like, okay, to, for, for that to be true, let's just stick with the, you know, th this idea of a watch necessitates a watchmaker. I don't care how many times a tornado goes through a junkyard over billions of years, it's not gonna produce a jumbo jet, okay? It's just not, and why? Because even if the tornado caused all of the junk to suddenly form into a jumbo jet, it just takes one little thing to cause the whole thing to go down. You know what I'm saying? A spark plug. I mean, there's, there's, in other words, it's irreducibly complex. Irreducible complexity requires more thought, okay? Because again, any good scientist knows Second law of thermodynamics, energy dissipates. It does not spontaneously organize itself, it disorganizes itself over time, okay? That's a, that's a fact of science, okay? So actually, science is working against your little probability thing, and, and creation, the human body, is infinitely more complex than a watch. I mean, my gosh, we don't, we, we don't know how to solve half of all of our diseases yet. I mean, we're, we're just starting to explore what the human body is capable of and not capable of. I mean, for goodness sake, Uh, so again, a body requires a creator. At some point, there's some sort of crea uh, creative force. And, and, and so, and, and finally, I told my, my friend, I'm like, hey, listen, if you want to believe in a spontaneous watch, but your, your metaphor actually has to get infinitely more complex than your little quarter analogy, okay? In, in order for a watch to spontaneously arrive, it would not only have to, one watch would have to randomly assemble itself and start ticking, but the miracle would have to happen twice, a male and a female watch, and they happen to float up next to each other, and then they happen to fall in love, and then they happen to procreate, and not only did they have baby watches, but those baby watches eventually gave birth to digital alarm clocks. And by the time I got to the absurd part of the metaphor and I overexplained it, then I'm like, listen, you, you can't say that that's more reasonable than belief in, an, in a watchmaker, in a creator. You see, when you think about it, my whole point in saying that was not to say, oh, your worldview is absurd and mine isn't, okay? Because every worldview can be made to sound absurd. I was simply trying to make the point that atheism requires just as much faith as Christianity, if not more. And actually, every worldview requires faith. There is no such thing as a non-believer on planet Earth. Everyone is a believer in something. It's more about faith in this versus faith in that, and which faith has a little bit more reliability in its foundation. And I, I will admit that Christians do have a lot of naive, blind faith in them, but so do atheists. And that's really ultimately why I believe God gave us brains so we can have conversation and dialogue about this. But again, if we're not honest about our own biases, honest about our own fears, honest about our own maybe bad experiences with people of certain worldviews, then we're never gonna be able to, to, to place ourselves in a, in a position where we can actually explore these types of topics And, and have it be fruitful and have it be life-giving on top of that. You see, ultimately, the Apostle Paul said, deep down, everyone knows there is a God, and here's why. Or at least there's got to be some sort of infinite creative force behind the universe. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen or understood from what has been made. In other words, when people look at the stars and they look at snowflakes and they can kind of see the Fibonacci sequence, they can start to see all of the, the, uh, the, the irreducibly complex things on the earth, 
that, that ultimately, hey, we're without excuse. All of us can at least ascertain there is some sort of intelligent designer that we should be seeking. And how do we seek that God? That's all of a sudden more of a productive conversation. Rather than debating, does God exist? It's, it's more like which God and, 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 and how do we know? How can we figure these types of things out? And again, I'm not gonna answer that question today, but I am gonna say, you know, when, when people say God doesn't exist, well, just look at creation. It's all over the place. And that's, that's what would lead us into ontological arguments for the existence of God. It's just arguments from creation. Uh, just, you know, there, there's... A, there's all sorts of books on this. Deep down, we all know there's, there's something that created this, okay? So now, um, with all of this in mind, here, here's, we're gonna, here's where we're gonna go with this, okay? I, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna stay philosophical and some of you are like, thank God, it's Sunday morning, I need more coffee, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so if that's you, don't worry about it. We're gonna, we're gonna lighten it up a little bit here. I, I just, you know, over the years, I, 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 wanna, I wanna talk about my own journey of faith because all of us are on a journey of faith and all of us have doubts and, and, and it's important that we acknowledge those doubts. I, I actually believe that, that true faith comes by exploring our doubts, not by ignoring them. And uh, I'll never forget about 10 years ago, um, we, my wife and I bought a, a house that's a few blocks from a lake and, and so every day that I drive home I have to pass this gorgeous lake with a little small uh, off to the left side and then there's a marsh off to the right side and of course, after we moved there, I was just, I was loving this. It was just, you know, because we had moved a little further out of the city and I was just loving seeing the nature. And, and one day I was driving by this, this lake and this marsh and all of a sudden off to the side in the marsh was a great blue heron bird. It was huge. I mean, it was just a big, giant bird and like a typical dad, like a typical parent. I'm like, kids, kids, get off your phone. Look, look, it's an amazing bird. You know what I'm saying? Like I was doing the whole dad thing. And then, and my, my girls were like, oh, what? And I'm like, look at that amazing bird. That's a great blue heron. You won't see those a whole lot, but man, that's so beautiful. And immediately they started laughing at me and they're like, dad, that is the, that is not a bird. Like, and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, dad, that's a lawn ornament. And my, my second daughter, True, she's kind of the argumentative one. And she's like, dad, that is, can you not see that is made out of plastic? And I literally pulled the car over and we're all like debating this. Like that is, that's real. Like, no, dad, that's plastic. Clearly a person like went out there and just kind of, it's a lawn ornament. And, and we were debating as to whether or not it was real. And I'm like, well, let's just sit here and watch it. <laughs> and you know, I'm the one driving the car, right? And so we sat there and, and we're looking at it, and now we're a couple minutes into looking at it, and, and it was completely frozen, and then finally my, my daughter was like, see, Dad, it was fake. It's just a, it's a, it's a fake blue heron, and, and so, and of course, you know, day after day, I would drive by it, and sure enough, it was a fake blue heron. It was like a, it was still staring the same direction, you know, and I was, I was kind of, I was shocked. You know what was funny about the whole thing is I, I was shocked you know, because every single day I would pass it, I would see just how fake it was. And after a while, I remember like the, like the eighth time I passed it, I remember thinking, it's not even a good fake blue heron. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was like, I mean, it was like badly painted plastic, like a bad jack-o'-lantern that had been worn down over the years. And, and I thought, well, you know, I, you know, and, and it kind of messed with me because I remember thinking, you know, how could I not see that it was fake? How could I not see that it was just a lawn ornament? I, I finally realized, you know what? I wanted to believe it was real. 
I wanted to think that my new house was surrounded by Minnesota paradise and that, you know, there are geese flying in formation and deer just eating out of the palm of my hand. No, that doesn't happen where I live. But I, I just, I wanted to believe that there's a world like that and I, I could experience it and it would just be beautiful. And I, 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 I the reason why I share this story is because I, I kind of think this is, this is one of the, the things that my, my atheist friend would always say about, about me. He'd be like, Peter, a lot of this is just something you wish was true. You know, you wish that God came to earth. You wish that God made it clear. You wish that there was life after death because, you know, again, it's just, uh, how do you make sense of all this pain? And, and, and you know, what, what, what if it's all a lie? What if your faith, what if Christianity is just something that you, it's just something you use as a crutch to give you a warm, fuzzy feeling, but what if in reality it's just a fake lawn ornament? And I, I remember having this conversation with this friend, Peter, what if it's all a lie that was foisted upon us? And I, you know, in, in the midst of one of our conversations, I finally came back, well, like, okay, what if your worldview is a lie too? Have you ever thought about that? And then we explored that for a moment. And, and, and I, I, I kind of gave him the classic argument in, if you study church history, there was a, a, a theologian who said, well, hey, listen, if it is a lie, if Christianity is a lie, then I got to live a life of hope, a life of generosity, a life without any fear of death. And if you're wrong, woo-wee, it's not gonna turn out good. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 the implications of you being wrong are totally different than the implications of me being wrong. I mean, when we compare it, okay? Uh, you know, so even just based on that, I'm gl- I'll fall on this side, you know? But I, I'll never forget, as I was kind of pondering a lot of these thoughts, one day I, I happened to be going on a walk and uh, down by the marsh where the fake blue heron was. And I, you know, and I was just, I looked at the bird and I kind of got irritated for a second. Like, I can't believe I thought that was real. I picked up a rock and I, I thought, I'm gonna see how far I can throw. And I'm gonna see how close I can get to this thing. Just, you know, dink it. And so I threw it. And then, of course, you know, my aim is terrible. It landed like four feet away. And all of a sudden, it turned its head and it flew away. <laughs> it was real. It was, and then I, and then now I'm like, I almost killed a great blue heron. You know, like I was just like, it was, it was real all along, you see. And I went home and I trash talked my daughters. Fathers, do no best in your face. And, uh, and so now, listen, now I'm feeling stupid all over again, right? Because I, I, because I realized something profound that day. The mere suggestion from one of my kids sent me reeling. All it took, it amazed me how a small seed of doubt could germinate in my soul, even over the course of just a few minutes, to the degree that I denied reality. I saw fakeness where beauty actually existed. How sad is that? You see, I think all of us have this fertile ground in our hearts that can have seeds of doubt or seeds of faith being sown into it. And I, I, I remember um, a while ago, I read this book by Justin Barrett, which is, is, is really worth reading. It's, it's one of my, I, it was one of my favorite books from like six, seven years ago. But uh, he, Justin Barrett is an experimental psychologist who wrote this book, Born Believers. And, and what was crazy about it is, so as an experimental psychologist, he did all this scientific research on children, what what do what are, what is it? What do children all over the world believe about the existence of God? And he devised all these really clever tests 
that he could give about just worldview, uh, uh, cosmology, and all over the world. And he, he proved that kids automatically come out believing in God. It's almost like a default setting in children. Children naturally struggle. And then he actually would go through every major religion and would, would, through experimental psychology, show which religions took more indoctrination in order for kids to believe them. And that he found time and time again all over the world that the hardest thing to get kids to believe is that there is no God, that everything spontaneously arrived out of nothing. He found that atheism is actually one of the few religions that requires the most indoctrination. And it's, it's a fascinating book. I, I encourage you to, if, even if you're skeptic, it's just, it'll say something about the way human beings uh, just think. It says something about human nature at the very least. But I, I ultimately do agree with the premise of the book. I do believe that we were all born to believe in a creator. I believe that all of us were born to believe in God. And somewhere along the way, a seed of doubt turned God's beauty into a lawn ornament and we never recovered. And for some of us, let's be honest, the seed of doubt is not about God's existence. That's not something you struggle with. But actually the seed of doubt is something different. Does God see me? Does he see my pain? Or the seed of doubt that you're struggling with is does God really heal people? Does God, could God really heal me? Or is that just, well, just people wishing it were true? Or, or maybe for you, it's it, does God truly lead and guide us as the Bible say, says he does? Will he really give me wisdom if I ask him for it? Will he really help me on my down day? Does he actually love me? Is today truly the day of God's favor? As 2 Corinthians Chapter six, verse two says. And, and listen, I'll, that's actually what I wanna pose to you today is what if it is true? I mean, listen, all of us have doubts to explore. Uh, and yet here's the truth. If we don't exercise a basic amount of faith, then chances are again, we won't see the breakthrough either way. It's an intentional blindness. And that's why, church, this is why we start every single year at Substance with a 21-day fast. Even Christian disciplines require a certain degree of faith. And I love fasting because I think fasting requires the most faith to do it because I hate it. And, and some of you are like, well, that's actually also why I love it. It's also one of my favorites because I hate it so much and it requires the most faith out of me. In other words, I always wanna be in a position where I have an uncomfortable amount of faith. It's old-fashioned strength training. And listen, I, I realize that I haven't made the full case for faith in Christ, but at the very least, it's worth asking, what if there's more to the world than you currently understand? What if God exists? And what if God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, John 3:16? What if his message of life was actually true and that today is the day of God's favor? What if? This is what I want you to do is just close your eyes, bow your heads, and just think about the thing that you're struggling with the most right now. Maybe it's a physical issue, maybe it's a, a financial issue, a job issue, a marital issue, a, um, I don't know what it is, an existential issue, the philosophical issues we've been talking about. Just what, what is it that you're, you're, that's weighing you down right now? What if it's true? As the Bible teaches, now is the time of God's favor. If you knew that you knew that you knew God had favor for you today in the area where you needed it most, would it change you? Would it bring you joy? Would it bring you peace? I'm asking you today to at least consider that and take whatever little bit of faith you have and just place it 
into the hands of, of God right here and now. And if that's you, you can just pray a prayer with me. Just say this, say, dear Jesus, I wanna know you. Reveal yourself to me that I might know you and that I might make you known starting today. In Jesus' name we pray. Mm, there's something powerful about saying that. In Jesus' name we pray. Reveal yourself to us, God. Amen. Amen. We're gonna have some fun in the, in the coming weeks. And of course, we won't just automatically do this series like every week for the next six weeks. And so if you're wondering if it's gonna be this philosophical every week, no. Uh, but I, I will say that we're gonna have some fun new questions to be exploring in the coming months as we add to this series. But with all that said, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. Love you guys. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.